leading a startup team, whether you're delivering a sugar rush, stocking coffee, or getting a regular delivery of snacks, Office Depot has solutions that fit every startup culture, from getting those first business cards and stationery to ordering fleece pullovers with your new logo. To learn how Office Depot and the California Technology Council have partnered to bring you savings on all of these startup essentials and more, go to californiatechnology.org forward slash member benefits. I'm Daniel Levine, and this is the Bio Report. Alzheimer's disease has been a costly and elusive area for drug developers. Despite many promising results in early-stage trials, drug companies have seen millions of dollars of R&D investment end in spectacular late-stage failures. While treatments for the disease are desperately needed, one of the barriers to success has been the availability of diagnostics that can detect the disease at early stages when therapeutic interventions may have their best chance for success. We spoke to Rachel Lang, managing partner of Bioness Partners, about the problem, whether there are fundamental misunderstandings about the disease that have sent drug companies in pursuit of the wrong types of therapies, and why diagnostics can play a critical role in reshaping the pursuit of an effective treatment for the neurodegenerative condition. Rachel, thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me. We're going to talk about Alzheimer's disease, the challenges drug developers have faced in developing therapeutics to address it, and why the development of diagnostics can play a critical role in leading to a therapeutic breakthrough. This is a a topic that you and your colleagues will be exploring at a panel of the upcoming Bio-International Convention in Boston. Let's start with the basics. What is Alzheimer's disease? How common is it, and and what's the prognosis for someone who's diagnosed with the condition? So Alzheimer's disease is the neurodegenerative disorder, um, obviously affects the the brain, ultimately leading to cognitive decline and memory loss. It's estimated that it affects over 5 million Americans today, and, and I believe is the sixth leading cause of death in the U.S. So as our population ages, it's, it's going to become even more critical that we find a way to, to treat and manage these patients. Unfortunately, today we, we don't have good therapies to treat Alzheimer's. We have a few therapies that can help address the symptoms of Alzheimer's, but nothing to stop the progression of the disease or prevent it. And so these patients experience progressive cognitive decline and eventually need to have full-time care from a caregiver or, or a family member um, and eventually uh, become unable to, to do routine daily tasks. We've seen many late-stage clinical trial failures in Alzheimer's disease. Why is this? Does it suggest that there's a fundamental misunderstanding of the disease? Are drug developers going after the wrong targets? or Are they testing the wrong patients? 
It's a great question. Um, I think it has to do with, with a few things. Our understanding of the disease biology is, is still evolving. We do understand some of the disease biology behind Alzheimer's, but there's still a lot left to learn. So we, we do have a number of targets that, that we know in some cases um, may be applicable. Um, but, but as I said, there is more to learn here. And the other thing that I, that I believe has contributed to these failures is that we still don't understand which patients we should be treating um, with which drug, and also perhaps we're not identifying them uh, at the right time. So once the patient exhibits symptoms of Alzheimer's, they've already undergone neuronal loss, which, as you can imagine, is, is quite difficult or even impossible to reverse. And so following the, the, the number of late-stage failures, companies have been starting to look at identifying patients earlier on in the disease. And I, I do believe that this is where we need to go to, to well, I, I hope, to have a better success rate. So here we're talking about identifying patients before they have symptoms, um, and, and then the goal would be to prevent any onset of symptoms rather than try to, to reverse them. And some organizations are even going as far as trying to prevent Alzheimer's disease. A lot of the efforts to date have focused on targeting the amyloid deposits. Do we know why these strategies haven't worked? Is the assumption that we're getting to these patients just too late? I think that's part of it. Um, I think, as I said, once once a patient has, has symptoms, then the neurons have been damaged so much that at least the therapies we have today are not able to reverse that. And I think the other thing is that we, you know, there's been an incredible amount of research on amyloid, also on tau. And I think the, the general feeling is that while these are important, there may be other things that are ongoing that perhaps we, we don't fully understand. The, the other thing that, that I think is important to note is that Alzheimer's, we talk about Alzheimer's as, as a single disease. So you say, you know, someone has Alzheimer's disease. I think, in fact, it's, it's actually quite a heterogeneous disease. And so what I wonder and what people are thinking in, in a few years from now, we may be looking at a situation where we have different subtypes of Alzheimer's. And, and then, as you can imagine, we, we may get to a situation like we have in oncology where some patients respond better to one type of therapy than to, to something else. But there's still a lot to learn on the underlying disease biology and whether or not that is indeed quite heterogeneous between patients. One of the reasons we've seen the advances we have in cancer is because of the ability to better stratify patients, diagnose patients earlier when treatment effects can be more meaningful, and monitor changes in the disease state thanks to better diagnostics. Do we have the potential for seeing the same benefit with the development of Alzheimer's diagnostics? How could that change the drug development process? It could change it very dramatically. Um, and you're right. We What we've seen in oncology, the understanding of the disease biology and also the, the targets has allowed us to design, um, I would say, more intelligent drugs that can be tailored to specific patients based on their genetic makeup or the expression of proteins. I, I believe we, we can get to this in Alzheimer's. Um, it, you know, it obviously took several years in, in oncology. We started out treating 
patients with chemotherapy. So we've come a long way. There's no reason to suggest we couldn't do the same for Alzheimer's. And I, and I do believe that that would help uh, not only in the design of new therapeutics, but also how we develop these products. So this would allow us to theoretically identify patients much earlier uh, before they have symptoms. And it would allow us also to personalize treatment. So it would allow us to pick the right patients um, at the right time and treat them with the appropriate therapeutic that best matches the, the disease state or, or the, the underlying biology of that disease. There have been several potential biomarkers for Alzheimer's disease, whether it's beta amyloid deposits, tau protein, or, or neuroinflammation. How are these tests performed, and, and how good are they at detecting the disease and its progression? Yes, at the moment, there, there are several biomarkers that are, that are being explored, um, either in the clinical stage or, or in research stage. So today, we can measure amyloid by PET imaging. This is, of course, an interesting marker to look at. We can, we can look at it in real time, which is interesting. But as you can imagine, the accessibility of running a PET scan uh, for every patient is rather limited. Um, the technology is limited to large hospitals who have the ability to generate the isotopes required for a PET scan. And it's also quite expensive, so it's not something that can be given to every patient and, and definitely not something that can be run every month, for example. So because of that, there's been a lot of focus to try and evaluate by and identify and evaluate biomarkers through other means. And so now people are looking at um, measuring biomarkers in the blood or in CSS. Uh, there's also work ongoing to, to look at the genetics underlying Alzheimer's disease. So, for example, we know that carriers of the APOE4 uh, high-risk allele have a higher risk of developing Alzheimer's disease. So there's work ongoing to try and not only identify new biomarkers, but also be able to measure them in a way that's accessible um, to all patients where it could be relevant. How close are we to having a, a validated blood test, and, and what biomarkers might such a test look at? So there's a lot of work ongoing. You, you mentioned amyloid, tau, some neuroinflammatory markers. Um, so there's, there's a lot of research ongoing. There's nothing to my knowledge that is um, that has been clinically validated and is on the market. Um, so to give you an example, so Roche, uh, Roche Diagnostics last year, they convened a, a summit um, to essentially launch what they called their neural tool, neuro toolkit. And so they're working with a number of academic partners as well as industry partners to measure, I believe it's 20 biomarkers, um, all of which could be applied to Alzheimer's and other potentially neurodegenerative diseases. And the idea is to move it forward into an assay that would be run, uh, it's an amino assay to be run on their platform. So, Today, the, the, as I said, there's nothing that's been commercially validated that is, is in wide use, but the, the need for these very high-quality and easy-to-measure biomarkers is very clear, and people are working on it. You've said the best chance for success is for drug makers, diagnostic companies, and, and makers of digital health tools to work together to develop a screening paradigm for patients that will increase the odds of clinical success and 
pave the way for commercialization. What's the case for doing this from a drug company's perspective? Yeah, so there are a number of advantages for for the drug companies here. Um, I think that we can look at them in a few different a few different groups. So the first is what we alluded to earlier in terms of selecting patients for clinical trials. And so the the availability of an easy to to run biomarker to to identify the correct patients at the correct stage of their disease would help facilitate recruitment of patients into clinical trials and, and also ensure that the right ones are selected for, for the trials. Um, so biomarkers can, of course, help with this. There are actually some, some other companies that are looking at different digital measurements as well that, that, um, that are thought to, to help recruit patients uh, into clinical trials. So these include things like online cognitive screening tools that can be run, obviously, very easily. It's online. The patient, um, I think in some cases, patients are actually incentivized to, to sign up, and they can track their own mental health um, and cognitive health over time. And so if, if they detect uh, or if the tool detects that there's a decrease in their cognitive or mental health, it will alert them. It will alert a physician and then they can be evaluated to see if, if they should be enrolled into a clinical trial. So between this and, and biomarkers, I think um, that will be one, one major benefit for the drug companies. The other benefits come in generating more data and more endpoints. So it's, it's, it's sort of obvious that the more you're able to measure, um, the more data you're able to, to gather, the better understanding of the disease that you'll have and, and also an understanding of why some patients respond and some patients don't. One of the challenges in getting diagnostic makers and, and drug makers to work collaboratively on this is the very different timelines, economic models, and, and issues of how to derive and divvy up value. How do you align their interests to do that? Yes, it's, a, it's an important question and one we've We've looked at and talked about a lot in oncology where we are starting to see that happen. Um, and, and you're right. For, for I think for a long while, we, as an industry, we focused on, on the drug companies and, and therapeutics, and the value for diagnostics um, was, was somehow limited. Um, I think that's changing, you know, not specifically talking about Alzheimer's, but just generally, I think the, the realization that we need biomarkers there's a lot of value in, in the data that's generated from these from these biomarker tests, and so I think the value just generally for for diagnostics is is becoming perhaps more recognized. Um, specifically, I think for for diagnostic companies, there there are a number of advantages as well because they're able then if they partner with a pharma company, they're able to get access to patient data if they're incorporated into a clinical trial. They, they then are able to generate um, a lot of data to link the, the clinical utility of their test with treatment outcomes in a real-life setting, well, as real, in, in a clinical trial setting. Um, and so this data can then support approval. It can help secure um, the pricing and the reimbursement for the diagnostics. So there are a lot of advantages uh, for, both, for both sides working together. And I, and I do believe that the, the sort of increased recognition of the value of biomarkers and diagnostics is helping foster these types of collaborations. 
this will be the topic of a panel at the upcoming bio convention in, in Boston in June. For people attending bio, how can they see the panel? Yes, so this is in the Brain Health track. It's on Wednesday, June the 6th at 1.45 p.m. It'll be moderated by one of our partners from Bioness, Dr. Mary Coto, and she'll be joined by three panelists, Carlo Medici, Mark Minton, and Dr. Alfred Sandrock. And if you're interested in learning more, you can also view the article in the December 2017 issue of Invivo on this topic, which can be found on the Bioness Partners website. Rachel Lang, Managing Partner of Bioness Partners. Rachel, thanks so much for your time today. Thank you very much, Danny. Thanks for listening. The Bio Report is a production of the Levine Media Group. To automatically download this podcast each week, subscribe to our RSS feed or through iTunes or other podcast manager. To join our mailing list, go to levinemediagroup.com. We'd love to hear from you. If you want to drop us a line or are interested in sponsoring this podcast, send email to danny at levinemediagroup.com. Special thanks to Jonah Levine, who composed our theme music, and the Jonah Levine Collective, which performs it.